Hello and welcome to episode 144 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual Stan, spike. Stan, this is me, Dave. Dave Harbarger, I have to interrupt you during your intro because I won't get to interrupt Shane. You know what, Dave? I've always wanted to tell you this, but I'm sick and tired of the interruptions. <laughs> no, that's, that's what I do. Get it together, dog. The, the godfather, Dave Harbarger, here in Chicago, uh, with me on the line from Chicago is Stanislav. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Dave, since it's just the two of us, do you want to make fun of Shane a little bit? Oh man, I love making fun of Shane so much. What a goob. He thinks that he knows all the right takes. And even though he's mostly right 98% of the time, those 2% I really like to jab him about. But And you know what? He never admits those 2%. He never will, will point out like, oh wow, Stan was right. I was I was wrong. Mystic Gate is the best land in modern. Mystic Gate is the best land. Counter Spell is the best spell. It's warped It's warped modern around it. And so, I think it's the most impactful spell of Modern Horizons too. If you can't tell by now, it is actually just Stan and Shane. And just with, the two of us. Dave's gone, so we're allowed to sing. Yeah, I love I love not singing it because I kn- I think it actually makes Dave mad. I think he's actually kind of bummed about it. Yeah, missing so out on the harmonies. Yeah. We, we can, can make it if we try. try. That was perfect. That was man. I was on key. Boys to men. ABC. BBD. I do hope that sometime soon, hopefully as soon as next week, we can finally have another three host reunion because it's i feel like it's been so long since all three of us were on yeah it's basically the shane and special guest show so i appreciate my special guests no i I like having you back thanks for being back uh stan this week i think it's gonna be another fun one uh i think we got a fun topic to talk about why don't you tell people what we're doing this week love to on this week's episode we continue our exploration of modern's competitive environment as we embark on a brand new journey It's the 2,000-mile road to Las Vegas, Nevada. We begin testing, experimenting, learning, and practicing with the most popular and successful modern decks in anticipation of the largest paper event to happen in the last two years. We're going to get our covered wagons ready. We're going to ensure we have enough roast beef and such for the long winter across the the Great Plains of the state. I've started collecting rainwater. So that we can remain hydrated. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen in the desert. Yeah, more of that in the dive down. But first, we're going to kick off with a look at some more modern challenges to actually help guide our ship. MMCs, we call them. That's right. More more modern challenges. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that is then going to waterfall into the dive down. Because, you know, we're a results and data-driven podcast, first and foremost. Yeah, exactly. That's how I make all my decisions. But first, let's housekeep. Stan, this is a pretty light housekeeping. No new patrons. We have no new patrons. No increased tears. No increased tears. No new reviews. No no new reviews. People, I mean, I don't care if you give me your money, but at least give me your kind words because those are free. All it takes is your time and it makes us feel good about ourselves. Also importantly, I think it, it does probably go into some kind of like algorithm where it helps people find us and stuff like that. If you do one thing this week, one thing, hug hug your loved ones give yourself some you know self-care and review the dive down on some kind of podcast platform i actually heard that the lack of dive down reviews on itunes is what caused facebook to crash this week good don't maybe don't maybe don't review (laughs) the dive down (laughs) because i'm okay with but um you know if you do want to join the patreon if you do want to help keep this podcast going if you want to get the episode a little bit early at that five dollar tier if you want to get some pins and tokens 
and play mats, which are on order. They're coming soon. Mm-hmm. Everything's everything's taking a little bit longer right now. It's not our fault. Yeah, someone told me there's a cardboard shortage. I tried to order boxes to mail out more play mats, and my guy said, "Sorry, there's a cardboard shortage." So you're gonna get them in a Ziploc bag, y'all. Uh, but head on over to Patreon.com/slash/TheDiveDown. A buck a week is all it takes. You get immediate access because Discord is linked up to Patreon now. So he just zips you right over into the de- definitively discreet dive down Discord. You know what I realize is a nice selling point about the Discord in particular? What's that? With the exception of these weekly podcast recording streams on Twitch that happen every Sunday or occasionally Monday night. Yeah. One of the only places to see us stream magic or other content is in the Discord now. Yeah. When I play Arena, sometimes when I play Moto, when we do other stuff, we're just streaming it directly to the patrons in the Discord. That is fun. That is fun. That is cool. Uh, And like we said, you can get the episode drops early for you, usually the night before, sometimes the day before, which is pretty cool. All that kind of cool stuff. Uh, $15 tier, you get to help us pick an episode topic. We have a Patreon episode coming up in the next week or two that's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a very novel uh, way for us to make a whole episode. So be prepared for that. So yeah, patreon.com slash a dive down. If you don't have any cash, that's cool. Tell someone about us, write a review somewhere, you know, plug us on Reddit. I don't care. Just, just, you know, just stay involved with us. We appreciate you. The only other way to support the show that you can do while playing magic, the gathering is with a mana trader subscription. If you sign up with promo code, the dive down 2021, all one word, You'll get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Good way to practice for all of your competitive ambitions on Mana Traders. Man, I love Mana Traders. I have no idea what I'd be doing. I just don't know. Thank you, rental services. Thank you, Mana Traders. All right, with all that out of the way, let's get into the breakdown. Oh, man, I'm loving these, Stan. I'm loving these these weekend challenges. Like these these modern challenges that we keep having every weekend. I feel like... <laughs> It's just like these little subtle changes to the metagame. And while a lot remains consistent, there is enough like dynamic energy and shifting that's happening that it really pays to pay attention to these. And so we'll start with, we we're doing this Monday evening, which is a benefit only because only one reason, one is we get to have Stan on. And two is that we have the full Sunday challenge results, which we don't always have when we record on Sunday any longer. So let's first talk about the metagame of the Saturday challenge. And we see three copies of Jund Saga and a single interesting copy of kind of Boomer Jund with Urza's Saga. So we're, so we're just going to have Jund, as you know it, you know, the four Lilianas and whatnot. Let's just ruin our mana with some Urza Saga because we can. We the you know the Jun Saga version show, shows that this deck can so if Boomer Jund go for it who who cares that you need double black to cast Liliana got Urza Saga there baby I don't care I kind of like it yeah I mean it's a good card we have three copies of Azorius Control and a single copy of Bant Control uh, along kind of nested under there so four kind of classic control decks three Hammer two Elementals two Yog that's Yog Moth two Burn Two Green Tron and 13 one ofs. Some of those being Classic Dredge, Murktide, Is It Thing in the Ice, Dressed Down, Blue Moon style deck, and a bunch more. 
First, Stan, any thoughts on kind of the overall meta we're seeing here? This is a thing in the ice Dressdown deck came in 10th place with a 5-2 sure. record. It could have, it was like this close to top eight. This close. Yeah. I mean, we could have been talking about this, you know, is it soul strong deck with three thing in the ice, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Two, two blood moon, three dress down, all the storm giants. This is the kind of stuff we've been seeing over the past few weeks creep back up into the meta. Yeah. And it wasn't even Pensor. This is soul strong. Yeah. That's like, that's like strong sad, but he's got a strong soul. I think what's interesting about the general meta here is like there's not a there's nothing that's like a five of or even a four of right unless you want to sort of lump in back control with Azorius control even though it's a I think a pretty different deck very different so it's a pre- it's a pretty flat meta and there's a lot of interesting little one ofs that we can look at later we have we have one of those in kind of cool deck sync that we'll talk about in five minutes or so but let's get into this top eight we've got Belfi on Living End pretty stock. Kai Jimmy on Elementals featuring Kira. This is an interesting build. It's got Ella Damry's Call, an Omnath, Omnath, excuse me, Locus of the Royal. That's the M20 mm-hmm. Omnath that you don't see a lot of. But this that's the one that when, it, when an ETBs, it does damage basically equal to the number of elementals you control. And then whenever a land ETBs, you put a 1 1 counter on a target elemental you control. And if you control eight or more lands, you also draw a card, and it's the Teamer Omnath. So just a single generic, and then Teamer colors for a 3-3 Omnath. You know, slightly bit easier to cast than the four-color Omnath, but I mean, I think we all know that the four-color Omnath is pretty awesome when it hits the battlefield and sticks for even even half a turn. What do you think about this, Dan? I don't think you've played any, any Elementals, but this is a weird one because it has the tutoring aspect of Elodamri's call, and I'm wondering how worth it that is. I played against Elementals actually just today in a league, and you know why I think Elodamri's call is good? Is because Omnath, Locus of Creation, is such a house against so many other decks. Like, it is bonkers good. I, I was playing Burn, and then <laughs> yeah. anytime they resolved Omnath, Loc- Locus of Creation, I just... Oh no, see you later. Yeah. Bye. Yeah, And I think being able to do that with other silver bullet creatures, whether it's Solitude, whether it's Fury, whether it's Omnath, I think makes Eldarmi's Call kind of a reasonable pick. Yeah, this all, this one also has Obsidian Charmaw in the sideboard. It's a card that I think a lot of people were afraid about, or at least a lot of you know Tron and Eldrazi Tron players were afraid about, and it's basically been nowhere. But I'm, I've seen it more this weekend than I have, I think, in any other weekend before. There's quite a few decks that are playing Charmaw on the side. It's a little expensive, but it is a good answer to Urza Saga as well. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So maybe maybe that's part of the calculus. All right, third place. We've got Bucha on Yogmoth, and they are splashing a single Blood Crypt for a single Magus of the Moon in the sideboard, because sometimes you just want to cheese someone out with Magus of the Moon. Because you can tutor it up, why not? Fourth place, Leviathan 102 on Jun Saga featuring Luris. And the only thing I noticed about this is Doomblade back in the sideboard because why not? Why not just play some Doomblade? I'm actually surprised to see Doomblade over uh, the Thoughtseize, one of the black removal that like kills anything but does two damage to you. And I guess sometimes you just can't take two damage, but it just seems like it is more widely applicable than Doomblade, but sometimes maybe you just don't care. Right, you're, you're referring to that new one from Innistrad. 
Yeah, I can't remember the name of it because no one's really playing it yet. Yeah. Yeah, the new one from Innistrad. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> uh, fifth place, Cola Cacao on Affinity featuring Gengatha. This is kind of just the, like the real Affinity that we've been seeing with like, you know, uh, Frogmite, Mirror Enforcer, Sojourner's Companion, Thought Monitor, basically just getting massive cost reductions because of all the cheap artifacts and free artifacts you can play in a deck like this. And I think it's pretty good. I'm not really surprised to see this top eight now and then, of course. Sixth place, Euro on Azorius Control, pretty standard build. Seventh place, Barcheck on Esper Reanimator. And this is looking like a slightly modified version of the Wafo Topo list that's been doing okay lately. Like I've seen it more than I actually expected to keep seeing it, but that kind of seems like what happens with Wafo decks sometimes. This is the one that has like four Moldrifter and not a lot of ways to actually get Archon of Cruelty into the graveyard. So it's kind of more of a control deck that finds its way into a reanimator deck. So there are four persist, mainly because I think, one, it's great to persist in our kind of cruelty. It's also good to persist the Moldrifter because it, it, it draws two cards when, when you evoke it. It draws two more cards when you persist it. And then uh, I guess you get a flying 1-1 one, one out of the deal. But I think really you're just hoping to draw into uh, more cards that interact with your opponent. Your Faithful Mending is also drawing you through your deck. And eventually you can get that Archon of Cruelty, stick it, protect it with counter magic, protect it uh, against instant speed type removal with Teferi and things like that. So I think that uh, this deck seems like an interesting way to build the deck, and I the build the style of deck, and I haven't really played with this yet or against it yet so i'm kind of uh i'm kind of excited to give this one a go i have all these cards somehow let me know how it goes shane i will uh this one also does uh, an important thing this does different than wafo's list is it runs one drops in thoughtsies and even a singleton fatal push and it moves the chalice of the voids into the side uh and only has two of there so i think that's kind of an interesting consideration where it's like hey i actually really like thoughtsies lets me do stuff on turn one and opens me up to playing things like Nihil Spellbomb in the side. And I think if you wanted to do things like more Fatal Push or something like that, you could. All right. Eighth place is Marshmalovsky. I love that name. Marshmalovsky on Adnaz. So it's not quite as dead as we may have uh, been thinking. This actually went 6-1 in the Swiss. Very cheap deck. 118 ticks, $519. Yeah. Perfect. Modern is cheap again. <laughs> Let's head into Sunday, because this is a little bit of a different meta and a different top eight for sure. We have five Hammer, four Footfalls, four Merktide, three Azorius Control, and including a fourth Jeskai Kiki Resto Control style deck, three Burn, and then 12 One-Ofs. We have another classic Dredge deck. We've got Mill, Green Tron, Yawgmoth, Living End, a bunch of other stuff. So this definitely is more skewed towards like the what I think people would consider would consider and think of as the best decks. So there's more hammer, there's more footfalls, there's more is it Merktide, and there's we're still seeing Azorius control and burn show up strongly here. So we don't have uh, the double Yogmoth, we don't have the double elementals, we don't have Green Tron in the the multi of so. It's kind of what I would consider more concentrated in the the tier tier one or tier zero decks even. 
Let's head into that top eight. Patheas, 84 on footfalls. Martinez, DP in second on 80-card Sky Noodle featuring Yorian. That's kind of, I remember what this deck sort of being called by the kind of originator. Uh, this is essentially what appears to be like a four-color control deck that gets a lot of long game value. Ice Fang, Coatl, Wall of Omens, Eternal Witness, Omnath, Fury, Solitude. It has ways to ramp into those threats with like Utopia Thrall, ways to dig through the deck with Abundant Growth. I feel like this deck might be more real than people have realized yet. Like I think I've seen it three or four times in various you know, decent finishes, like in prelims and challenges and things like that. So I'm curious what the future of this deck holds. I feel like I haven't seen a, a high-performing modern Yorion deck in a while. Yeah, this is one that I think appeared maybe la like last week when, when you were skating around Wisconsin on the ice and things like that. Uh, yes. But um, yeah, but uh, it's, it's, it's up and coming. I think this is something that people have started realizing is just an option, and why not? Yeah, I, really, I, I love the interaction with Yorion and, and these new elementals, just like Flicker of Fury, Bl Flicker of Solitude. Yeah, that's good. Flicker and Omnath, why not? Flicker and Ice, even an Ice Fang Kualatl and Wall of Omens uh, and Ewit is just all big value. Third place, Arias on Footfalls, pretty normal. Crusher Bot BG, uh, fourth place on Hammer, not featuring Luris, because this is one of those decks that runs some interesting sideboard and main deck uh, in inclusions here, including a main deck nettle cyst, a cranial plating, a sword of fire and ice. The defense, uh, excuse me, the sideboard has defense grid, mortar pod, which is another like living weapon, uh, two more swords, uh, sinew and steel, and war and peace. Not the typical sword inclusions you might think of, but I guess it just provides more color protection that you might need in the sideboard. So yeah, a pretty interesting Hammer Time build from Crusherbot here, but still pulls out the fourth place because Hammer is just a good deck. You heard it here first. Yeah. Fifth place, uh, Jinp on Gruel Wish Scapeshift. It's leveraging Red for Bolt, Dead and Gone, Storm's Wrath, which is that four mana wrath that like hits creatures and and planeswalkers for four uh, of course it has three copies of wish which we talked about last week as a newer card that people are including to just get needed combo pieces they might need so like if you have we have a scape shift out of the side but all sorts of little tech pieces where you might want to avoid mirror or weather the storm or a force of vigor or an alpine moon or things like that so just a nice way to use your extra mana to get a card out of the sideboard and perhaps win with it, perhaps lock the whole game down with it. Into it. Really love that one of run afoul on the side. In yeah, case your I, opponent has a sticky creature with flying. Probably good <laughs> against Merktide. <laughs> uh, if it said can't be countered, then I think even more. But I guess sometimes you're going to slip that through with a uh, single green mana. All right. Sixth place, Melody 5233 on Boros Burn featuring Luris. Seventh place, Coco Lopez on Azorius Control featuring Kahira. And eighth place, Raging Tilt Monster on Classic Dredge. Yes, no Faithful Mending, no Otherworldly Gaze here. This is Dredge as you have come to know it over the past uh, year or so. And yeah, I think it's interesting that people would just choose to run this deck when a lot of people have been testing Otherworldly Gaze. Gaze. They've been testing uh, Faithful Mending. But, you know, Raging Tilt Monster is like, hey, uh, this is still good. I want to call out a few more other decks a little deeper in the top 32. 
We do have two more Blue Moon decks, including Soul Strong running it back, this time coming in 22nd place. Nice. And Timu coming up the rear 32nd place with Thing in the Ice dress down. Oh, cool. Yeah, I guess those are kind of the same uh, same idea. So sorry for not calling those as a two of there. But I think, yeah, Blue Moon is definitely a capable deck, and we've seen it perform pretty well over the past month or so so yeah do, do not sleep on that style of deck if you're into it I, I i feel like and i'm probably gonna remember this as soon as i i say it but is blue moon the only deck running main deck blood moons right now i believe so because ponza isn't really around anymore now ponza is not really a thing right now which is yeah so yeah blue moon there you go i also really like this 31st place jiggy wiggy deck Mm-hmm. Jiggy Wiggy, I believe, is a co-host on the Serum Visions podcast. Oh yeah, that sounds right. Playing an is it uh, artifact combo deck with grinding station? Oh memory. yeah, the grinding one. Yeah, Brainstone, Underworld Breach. Haven't seen this deck. Or at least I haven't noticed one of these decks appear in a while. But Jiggy Wiggy went four three to come up in thirty first place. Pretty cool. Remember when Brainstone was showing up a little bit? And it was like, well, maybe no. Brainstone's not that bad. I don't remember then, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like, oh, was I wrong? Nope. Brainstone's not that good. <laughs> so, Stan, some of the things I noticed about both these top 32s and top 8s is we're continuing to see the success of our usual suspects. Merktide, Hammer, Footfalls. The decks that people are playing a lot. They're known good decks. They're continuing to be known good decks. And we're continuing to see success of things like Jun Saga, of Elementals. Even Yogmoth is still able to compete here and kind of round out these top 32s to be two ofs, to be three ofs now and then uh, to complement these maybe true, t- true tier one decks. And I think we're also seeing the establishment, the legitimate establishment of Azorius Control as a competitive deck. This is something that we talked about last week. And people are taking note that, hey, Azorius uh, Control keeps showing up and it keeps winning. And this is here to stay. I think Azorius Control is is just going to be a fixture of modern again for a while. I mean, it always has been to, to astronauts on the moon. <laughs> I think it's cool that it did take a while for Blue-White Control to kind of figure out how to build itself in this yeah. game. Like that it had to become a Chalice of the Void deck. I think for the first time in years has Blue Moon been or uh, has Blue White been a Chalice deck? Yeah. Well, when, I think once you don't have to worry about Path, it does a number of things, right? Like one, you no longer have the significant downside of the mana ramp of Path, and then two, it does, and then the create the inclusion of Prismatic Ending, which is an obvious inclusion. Everyone loves Prismatic Ending. It also gets you around that one mana issue. So just being able to say, hey, I don't really have any one-mana spells I care about. I can run Chalice, and I can do what Eldrazi-tron is doing, but have a much stronger controlling game plan than that. And I think it's just smart and kind of the eventuality of it, right? Totally agreed. Other things that I'm noticing, too, is the continued establishment of people realizing Burn is still good. And we're going to talk about that later on in the dive down. But Perhaps more surprising than that to me is the disappearance of what we were calling Luris piles, mm. right? Like we're not seeing Grixis Luris, we're not seeing Mardu Luris, we're not seeing Rakdos Luris, 
And I think that's because of the consolidation of Luris piles into Junsaga. Like that is our newest Luris pile value deck. You know what I mean? And so people are sort of, I think, identified that these are the strongest group of cards that we can play together and get to play Urza Saga along with it simply because we can. Uh, and it works so well with Renin Six, I think, is one of the big reasons too, right? I do think that part of the problem with these Luris pile decks is the growing popularity of both cheap removal and really cheap interaction that kind of attacks everything in the old Luris, Grixis, and Junt piles, but also the fact that Chalice of the Void is becoming such a popular card across a number of strategies, and Engineer Explosives for that matter, and even like really versatile Graveyard Hate because of the new, um, because of Endurance. That I think if you're going to be a Luris deck, you can't just play a pile anymore. You have to have a very specific proactive strategy. For sure. Makes total sense to me. All right, Stan, I got one cool deck ink for you. You kind of pointed out some earlier, and I think we actually had some in like our top eights a little bit. But one I noticed was a Rakdos good stuff deck piloted by Sven Sveter Sven to a 25th place on Saturday. And it's really just, it's it's kind of Mardu-y, but it's really like Rakdos splashing white. It's got four Knight of the Ebon Legion. Haven't seen that in Modern for a minute. Four Ragavan. I have seen that in Modern for a few minutes. Four Stoneforge Mystic, two Kroxa, two Bone Crusher Giants, and like a pile of the usual Rakdos spells that you would expect. And this one has an Embercleave main deck, because why not? They're running a grand total of 16 creatures. Might as well have an Embercleave uh, to have access to with your Stoneforge Mystic, I suppose. The sideboard gets even spicier. It's got three Phyrexian Crusader to play against like red-white-white-based decks, and then you can quickly kill with Infect damage. Uh, it's got three Obsidian Charmaw. Again, we mentioned that card earlier for like the Anti-Tron hate. It's got a few Remorseful Cleric that you can pop against opposing graveyards and I guess still serve as a creature if you needed to. So all in all, I thought this was a pretty wild deck. Like the three equipments is a sort of Feast and Famine, a Shadow Spear and Embercleave. So not even like a Calder Complete or a Batter Skull like you might see in like a, a, a Stoneforge deck. Yeah, it's a wild one. Kind of love it. Yeah, this is like a historic deck that someone's been working on for years and trying to upgrade into a modern deck i mean kind of right i, I, I have mean, these knights of the ebon legion how can i play them in modern how many of these spells are historic legal a good bunch of them i mean you don't get access to the to sort of feast and famine or importantly stoneforge mystic but yeah. yeah largely a lot of these spells are perfectly playable out of historic but yeah that's my that's my weird cool deck ink find for the day if you want to go 25th place on the next modern challenge run this one out is that a promise yeah all you man <laughs> cool thank you shane that wraps up the breakdown for this week we're gonna take a quick breather turn off our mics and maybe stretch out our backs and then when we return we are diving into a new feature we want to call the road to las vegas part one Merktide versus burn stay with us And we're back. So, you know, even though I haven't been on several episodes in the last month or so, I do listen to them. And first of all, great job, guys. Oh, thanks, Dan. Really, 
really keeping the torch going. Me and my special guests do a great job. You know, every time I listen to the episodes I'm not on, I make mental notes to myself, like, oh, I'm going to call this out next time I'm on the show, but I'd never write it down, and I always just forget what it is. Oh, you have, like, some hot responses? Well, I think last week you mentioned how the favorite, my favorite part of the episode is housekeeping. So yeah. after housekeeping, I just turned off the episode. I didn't feel like it was worth listening to the rest. Yeah, I mean, you're, that was the, the best choice like, you could have made, I think. You just talked about too many decks. There's, there's just too many decks these days. So many decks. But in all these weeks of autumn, the spooky months, I don't think we've mentioned this on the show yet, but the good people at Channel Fireball have recently announced what is the largest paper modern tournament ever or since the beginning of the pandemic taking place in Las Vegas in late November. My gosh, thank you. Right. Importantly, importantly, they're going to be uh, vaccine and hey. If you're not if you're not a vaccine fan, the a recent test will also suffice. So I'm glad for both of those decisions. I'm I'm also pleased that they're requiring masks. Yes. While playing in all zones of playing. I'm yeah. happy I'm happy to almost 100% be going. Yeah. I have I have booked lodging but not flight. Same. Well, I just let Shane book lodging for me and then I yeah. will let you book flight for me. I got a single king bed though, so I hope you're <laughs> hope you're a cuddler. Oh, head to toes, dog. You know me. So we're thrilled both with the prospect of high-level paper modern play, just because it has been so long, but the additional safety precautions that CFB is creating to reduce the risk and spread of COVID at this event. So we're hoping to be there, and in an effort to prepare ourselves for just the overall gradual return of high-level paper modern, while also equipping you, the listener, with actionable insights that can assist in your own Las Vegas or otherwise competitive ambitions. We're going to yeah, kick... So let me hold on, Stan. Let me tell you about some video poker odds, okay? So when you're in Vegas, all right, so you have to find the, the payout tables. In, okay, let's let's move on. Maybe Can we do a bonus episode on how I can get rich quick in Las Vegas? Because that is a question I've been asking a lot of people. <laughs> I, if I, if I wish I knew, my friend. Yeah, basically what I was trying to say before Shane interrupted me is that we're going to kick off an experiment starting today with a potential new episode format that tries to blend some of the best parts of deck dives, sleeve, yeah. believe, heave, and our overall metagame assessments. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. And although we probably won't do this type of episode every week in the lead up to Las Vegas, we do welcome you to let us know what you like or didn't like about this approach and how we might be able to improve on this format further as we continue to develop new episode styles and collectively elevate our expertise in the current modern metagame. Yeah, even even after Vegas, it can be, it can be the the road the road to the SCG Baltimore, the road to Monaco. <laughs> I love it. All right, so what's this episode and upcoming episodes all about? What we want to try and do is take some of the most successful decks in modern right now. Yes, proven tournament winners, other promising emerging strategies that are doing well in MTGO tournaments or elsewhere and start to pit them against one another to identify both how they're positioned against the expected meta or what makes them work or struggle, or even eventually try to answer the very important question of what is the best deck for us to take to a competitive modern event? This might, maybe we'll get to a point where we're like, this is the best deck in modern. If you want to put your best foot forward, this is what you got to play. I don't think that's the conclusion we're going to get to. I think we're going to try to get to the conclusion of this is the best deck for Shane to play and the best deck for Stan to Hmm. play and the best deck for you, the listener, to play. 
I think that's a much more reasonable approach because I do think that not every deck is for every person. And I also think that the best deck is not the best deck for always, right? And so I think that when people realize what is performing really well, they make changes. And I think the best, and and for us especially, Stan, what's good about this is that we frequently do not play the top tier decks. We frequently are playing new decks, emerging decks, decks for Sleeve, Believe, Heave. Uh, We are testing something that might be for like a Patreon episode or just a deck that we feel like exploring uh, because it's something that we think is cool. But, you know, we're not revisiting Hammer. We're not revisiting Burn. We're not uh, revisiting... You You played some Cascade stuff recently. I know that. I've been playing some Reanimator stuff, which has never been top tier anyway. But I think what we can do in this format and in these episodes is say, let's take a look and play these quote-unquote best decks in the format and take a look at what makes them tick, why they're doing well, how they're you know, shoring themselves up against the rest of the meta, see how we like them, talk about our play experiences, and give people who are looking at these upcoming paper tournaments, whether they're local or remote, and they're going to be traveling to you know, maybe SCG Invitational uh, or the CFB thing, then there's going to be lots of opportunity, hopefully, safely, in the near future, to be playing Paper Magic. Honestly, I think this is applicable to MTGO players as well, of course. For sure. It's where we're doing a lot of our testing as well. But not only that, you know, you point out how we as players, because of our commitment to the podcast and try to experiment and, and iterate and innovate and see what's on the cutting edge of modern and magic in general, we don't tend to play the best decks of the format week over week over week. And though we are trying to do more of that with this format in the road to Las Vegas, I think in some cases we're also going out of our comfort zone because we're going to have to just experiment with some of these decks that people are yeah. doing with doing well with that we just have never picked up either you know like yeah, i'm like like I'm, i might i might call john saga next week or the week after yeah, stan yeah I, I feel like i have to try living end i've never <sighs> put living end in a deck <laughs> you, you haven't tried living in with murktide or something weird you haven't even tried living in hammer my friend not yet i do really love that living in deck that came in first place on saturday and the way my Stupid brain always works. Is I just saw that deck and I was like, "Well, I can build this in paper for like fifteen bucks. I just need some living ends and a couple now mechanical sanctums." That's a brilliant brain, my friend. <laughs> but Stan, uh, enough beating around the bush. Yeah, you did play one of the best. I I would say probably top three in terms of popularity and success decks in modern, and that is is it Merktide? Yes, I did. I played two leagues and then some with it. Really tried to go as deep as possible. I played the deck before. Before my yeah, kid was born, I was playing it in paper at the LGS. Oh, and that and that that's this is definitely your wheelhouse, right? Like this is an is it tempo-y, countery, protect the Merktide type strategy where you're getting a lot of value out of all of your cards, you're digging through your deck, you're you know finding the right answer, answering things at the right time. It seems like a stand deck. I mean, it is, is it? Wait, I was supposed to protect the Merktide? I think so. I mean, you could protect the monkey, too. Yeah, that's what I usually try to do. Stan, I have not cast a, a monkey yet. It makes me very upset. I've had four of them for weeks now. It's good, especially on the play. Oh, I've heard that, but, you know, I'm waiting I'm waiting to prove it myself. Yeah, you should try it sometime. That's true. So Shane, Shane is right. I played a bunch of Merc died. Shane played a bunch of Burn. Um, and the way we started you this... spoiled it. Sorry. 
I, I mean, I think it was obvious when I teased this dive down earlier. Oh, uh, good point. In any case, at this point or this episode, we did kind of gravitate toward the good decks that we have a little bit of experience and interest with. That's a good point. Eventually, I think we're going to be a little bit more edgy with our experimenting. But for now, is it Merktide? I played two versions of it. One was a slightly experimental one where I just took out some Archmage's Charms <laughs> and Serum Visions and put in four Consider to have... The, mo- the most sand thing. <laughs> this is a good deck. Can I make it worse? How do I make it worse? <laughs> I was just curious to see how good Consider was, whether it could actually function like eight copies of Thoughtscour. And that's a good point. I did not like it. I did very, very poorly. I think I went 0-4 drop. Then I ran up another league that's like Bob the Dog's build. One that was actually doing well in MTGO results. Copy Known that okay one. player, yeah. Gabe Deceif. Yeah. And I did much better with that one and collected much better data about this deck too. So to start, just to help paint the picture of where this is in the metagame, how successful has Burktide been lately? Yeah. The last time it made top eight of a modern challenge before this past weekend was on September 26th. That's already like 10 days ago. This deck's trash. Throw it out. Throw it out. It, it, I had that perception, to be honest, because I noticed that it wasn't in top eights, and I was like, is Merktide dead? <laughs> what is... It's clearly not. But since then, it since September 26th, it's made the top 32 five times, but in only two tournaments, including this past weekend when it put four copies into the top 32 with a peak in ninth place. But even before the last like week and a half, this has been a fixture of the top tables it's been you know it's been i think one of the three main decks of 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 post modern horizons 2 meta and it's kind of stuck around through the ups and downs of other decks and the three decks i would, I would put in this category are murktide hammer and footfalls mm-hmm. basically yeah and i think one thing i might try to explore and and, and bounce off your brain is why has this deck not been in the top eights as consistently even though it has been doing really well in preliminaries you know it's come up in a 4-0 it had a 4-0 run on september 29th not that long ago several three ones the deck is all over the place there are a bunch of copies of it in modern challenges this weekend clearly it's doing really well for good players and uh, i think pilots are are utilizing its mix of removal and interaction really smartly to still put up good results without necessarily demonstrating that there's something in the metagame that has totally pushed this out just yet. Yeah. Um, Hopefully this is not stealing too much of your thunder later, Stan, but what do you think it is about this deck that is fundamentally solid that has kind of got it to where it has been? Like, what are sort of the basics of this deck that you think give it its foundation? I think it gets to run some of the absolute strongest cards in the format, period. And that is Ragavan, that is Dragon's Rage Channeler, but also Expressive Iteration and Unholy Heat. We have excellent, very cheap, very strong threats. It also has one of the absolute best removal spells in the format and one of the best card advantage tools. And I think having all that plus Merktide Regent, which is this huge, really cheap control finisher, allows Merktide decks to apply a lot of pressure in the mid to late game uh, in a way that's much cheaper than control decks typically have in the past. Also, to answer your question, I think its flexible mid-range strategy can consistently reward attentive players who know how to pivot between aggressive and reactive plans based on 
whatever in-game conditions they they face in a given matchup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's always felt to me as someone who hasn't played this deck, even though I've been wanting to, I've just been wanting to play other things more. Is like it can just it's just kind of a do it all. Mm-hmm. Like it has it has the early stuff, it has the interactive stuff, it has the card selection, it has the big flying beater. Uh, it it seems like it just has a lot of options. But stand now we feel like it maybe has lost a half step mm-hmm. perhaps yeah do you what do you think has been impacting the performance of the deck lately potentially great question i do think that because it was one of the first tier 1 strategies to emerge post modern horizons 2 and has been around for so long that the meta game is just starting to identify the specific decks that are good against it and the individual tools that people can leverage to fight against it in almost any deck so even though Murktide deck wasn't necessarily this tier zero menace that plagued the format, in the weeks following MH2, people started to realize that the combined power level of Ragavan, DRC, and Murktide are effective threats that they need to have plans against. And yeah. you can't just ignore this deck outright. That's one of the things that I think this deck does particularly well. It's like you have to be answering almost literally anything I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are other decks that, it felt, it feels like that, but it's not really true. I think this is the kind of deck that, you know, everyone knows you have to answer Ragavan or you run away with the game. DRC is doing so much for this deck in particular in terms of the card filtering and the graveyard filling and things like that. And then Murktide just kills you in like two turns. And so it's the, the things that this deck is doing are legitimate must answer threats and that's something that any deck wants to be able to present let alone a deck that is based in is it that has the interactivity and the card selection and the removal and the counter magic that this deck can play right totally i also think that in addition to you know people getting wise to it they're starting to recognize which aggro strategies are good against this to get under it and also what are some of the control or mid-range piles that are better against it too that can really thwart and disrupt this deck's plan yeah, it's like if enough enough water crashes against this, you know, dam, then some some holes will be found in the dam. This is a terrible analogy. This is a dam analogy. No, but like, you know, enough people are trying to fight against a menace, they're going to find ways to to do so, right? And 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 I'm guessing we're going to talk about what some of those mashups feel like and what some of the tech that people are bringing in is feel like. So speaking to, you know, my point with people identifying the right decks and the right tools, I wanted to provide a high-level picture of how I think Murktide fares against the other most popular decks in the format right now. Yeah. I'll go in, you know, varying degrees of detail <laughs> for some of these decks. I had more to write about Hammer than I did about something like Mill. Yeah, exactly. So that being said, let's start with Hammer. I think, as you pointed out, it is one of the other most popular decks in the format. How does it fare against Murktide, Shane, and listeners? Agree or disagree? I want to have this conversation. I think Murktide and Hammer are actually about even and very, very skill testing. And this is the type of matchup that rewards both the player who gets the best draws and the player that knows their role in a given matchup. Yeah. So what role what role do you think you're playing in this in this one? You're playing the controlling role. Okay. You are not the beatdown. Makes sense. The Murktide deck runs a lot of removal, main. It also runs a lot of land disruption, which is important, and artifact hate in the sideboard. And even some number of main and sideboard engineered explosives now. Frequently, we're seeing Murktide doing one main deck EE and about two in the side. 
And I think those are the most important tools for this matchup. Your threats are somewhat secondary. Mm -hmm. If the cards line up well, Murktide can effectively keep Hammer from actually sticking a threat. And I think that's one of the most important strategies you can have against Hammer with any deck, is you don't want them to actually even have creatures, because those creatures, if they sit around for too long, they're just going to flash equip a Hammer and kill you out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. You do have Counter Magic, though, which, though that is decent against creatures, it's also really good against Sigarda's Aid, or just Hammer in and of itself. Stan, quick question. Did your deck play any Force of Negations? Oh yeah, I got one or two main, one or two in the side. Okay, because I definitely have seen some decks running it, some decks not running it, and I feel like Force of Negation is, is such a good out against decks like these because they're they're hyper-efficient and they have very particular spells, and like if they can get you to tap out in a world where you don't have Force of Negation, then they can use that to uh, use that window of opportunity, and Force is just such a nice backup plan uh, against things like that. Yeah, and one of my favorite cards to pitch to Force in this matchup is actually Murktide Reach, because... Sometimes, you, even if you got the 8-8 flyer, it's still going to get outclassed by their 10-10 that's, you know, being equipped at flash speed if they have a Sigardo's 8 on the ground. But also, your counter spells are, are super clutch in making sure that you have control of the, of the board and the game state. But perhaps my favorite card in the matchup is Archmage's Charm. Not only because it's countering things, but it's stealing hammers. It's stealing threats. And being able to actually steal things from the opponent's board is another great way to not only keep control of the game, but sometimes just steal a threat that you then get to hold on to and, and mess up your opponents with. Yeah, I want to steal a threat with a hammer. Bang, bang. So then, I get to, then I get to swing back, hopefully. Right. So that's when and how Murktide, I think, can win the matchup. Hammer, however, being super fast, explosive, and even grindy means that it can both occasionally win out of nowhere if the Murktide deck taps out too soon, or sometimes just claw back with the Lurus if Murktide doesn't find a way to close out the game fast enough. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of the nightmare situation, right? Is like if you get to the point of in the game where they're buying important stuff back with Luris for like even a turn or two and you're not clocking them with a Murktide, like you're going to feel like you're in bad shape. But they don't have a lot of great ways to even block a Murktide unless they activate an Inkmoth Nexus or something like that, right? Like you can typically, if you stick a Murktide, I imagine you're closing the game out pretty quickly. That's true. The Murktide is best if they don't have a hammered up creature, but they do have ways to interact with your Ragavans. So mm -hmm. even a flying Dragon's Rage Chandler, I think is also fine. Like having nice flyers against them is usually pretty good. Murktide is of course the best finisher. in the Yeah. That's Hammer. You mentioned in the format, the other top three decks other than Hammer and Murktide is Footfalls. Mm -hmm. I think the Footfalls matchup is even, but weighted toward the Murktide deck. What makes that the case? You can play around their removal and their interaction really well. A lot of their removal spells are shock effects, right? Whether it's Stomp, whether it's Dead and Gone. Yes, that kills a 1-1 Tranneler or a 2-1 Ragavan. If your DRC has Delirium online, it's actually... It can be pretty hard for them to kill it unless they're re uh, resolving a fury. But likewise, you have great counterspell interactions, both for those bigger removal spells like fury or subtlety, or you can save all of your counter magic for the combo, which makes mm -hmm. it so much harder for them to win. Um, if they get rhinos down, you can maybe get them with unholy heat. You can maybe crack an EE to squeak out yeah. a win. Generally, you don't want them to cast resolve rhinos. I don't think any deck wants to see two 4-4 four, four tramplers because no it's never just two 
once they get some rhinos down, more rhinos are usually coming. But overall, I think Murktide is one of the decks that can keep rhinos at bay, even if they're resolved, and can generally keep the rhinos deck at bay too. Um, assuming rhinos doesn't have like an absolute nut draw with all the perfect interaction to get their combo out the gate. Yeah, I feel like this would be a matchup where you're going to try to lean pretty heavily on your counter magic against very specific spells mm-hmm. like because you could you don't really care about a lot of what they're doing like all you have to do is keep them off of rhinos and then they have no clock yeah and then eventually you can get to the position where you're like well now i can get my merc tide going and have counter magic back up uh and or just not have to worry about it because you're so far ahead in the life total that you can just you know you can you can swing with impunity and even if they do get some rhinos you're not going to immediately be attacking with them and maybe you can buy a turn or two pretty easily. And if you have a merc die down, especially if it's an eight eight, the only card you really need to worry about at that point is brazen borrower, just because you don't want them to petty theft your merc tide back to your hand because it's hard to make repeatable eight eight. Yeah, for sure. But if you've got the merc tide that you can then protect from petty theft, you are usually going to. Yeah, and you do get access to, like you said, EE, usually a few more counterspell effects. Like Flusterstorm is really good against those style of decks. Uh, you can even Spell Pierce if you are so inclined. Uh, I think Blood Moon is probably decent against those decks because their mana is usually three or four color. So if you want to do the Blood Moon stuff on the side, more Force of Negation, even Mystical Dispute. Mm-hmm. I think you, mm-hmm. you can... Well, I guess if you counteract the... Um, Mystical issues, it's good against Shardless. It's good against the occasion. Yeah, but they still get the Cascades. It doesn't matter. That's what I was, I was thinking that. Like, because the, the... I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's a green spell that actually resolves. So no. pretend it's good. <laughs> I will. Footfalls does run Blood Moon, Blood Moon in the side sometimes, but you can surprise them, right? If exactly. If That's always the thing. If they're not fetching for their own Blood Moons, you can sometimes actually get them because they're only running like three or four main deck basics. For sure. What about Stan? What about uh, what's the other one we're talking about? Well, this is one of them. So we've talked about Hammer, we've talked about uh, Merktide, we've talked about uh, Footfalls. What about something like Elementals? Yeah, so this was a tough match for me. I actually got to play against Selfie Sec in a league. Mm. They were mm-hmm. on Elementals, I was on Merktide. I played against in practice rooms a few times too. I think that. Elementals is slightly favored against Murktide, but it is a winnable matchup if you play well and get a little lucky. In part because Elementals runs some really strong main deck hate cards against the Murktide deck. Teferi Time Reveler is a huge one. Just oh, yeah. sh- shutting off all of your counter spells and Archmage's Charms really stinks. Not being able to play removal spells at instant speed really stinks. I feel like you have a lot of options to take care of that, though, because unless they're taking their time to get to ferry down on, I don't know, turn five or turn six, something like that, right? Like, they can't necessarily do a lot with that if they're tapping out and you're holding, like, an unholy heat or have even an attacker, right? I think that's true, but usually, if even though unholy heat is great against a ferry, they have main deck answers to that as well. Yeah. And they got endurance, and even the other pitch elementals from MH2, I think, are all pretty solid against Murktide. Um, mm-hmm. Endurance mm-hmm. in particular, just being able to shut off your graveyard turns off your Murktides, your DRCs, and your Heats. And I think that can really be a huge setback. Let's just talk about that right now. And, and I don't want to steal any thunder for later, but uh, what do you think about Graveyard Hate against Murktide? Like, is this like a, it's kind of a stumbling block? Is it kind of disastrous? Like, what do you, what's your overall feelings? It's 
it's not bad against Murktide, but it's not the silver bullet. I was able to beat, I can't remember which matchup it was now, but someone played in games two and three. They had turn zero Leyline of the Voids against me, and I was still able to win that match through the Leylines of the Void. Because all that really did was shut off my big heats and my flying channelers and Murktide. Yeah. But if you're anticipating Graveyard Hate, you can plan against it a little bit, maybe even take out your Murktides. And Channeler, we talk about this all the time, even in the face of Graveyard Hate, I think Channeler is still a really good card because of how well it filters your draws. And that is just so important. Using your uh, Mishra's Bobble or whatever cantrips you're running to make sure that everything you're drawing into is solid or at least not Mm -hmm. dead, I think makes uh, for a lot of game against potential Graveyard Hate, even if it comes down when a ley line does what are you drawing into well what are you winning with just like like ragavan beats and like one power drc beats and stuff like that yeah exactly i mean a ragavan and a drc will win you games for by just swinging for three if you have removal and counter magic and are just able to keep the board clear and like that then you're just kind of playing the tempo game you know in its purest form where you have a cheap threat that you're protecting controlling the board state beyond that and just getting in for damage here and there and sometimes your Ragavan will steal your opponent's creatures. And that, that, that's what it was. I was playing against your deck. I was playing against Reanimator. They had mm-hmm. ley lines against me. And I was able to win by casting their own Archon of Cruelty. How'd you, hold on. How'd you cast that? How much mana did you have? Well, I connected with Ragavan so many times that I have a, had a ton of treasure tokens and just hit every land drop. That's amazing. That's awesome. I love it. Me too. Yeah, I actually hate it, but that's awesome. Stan. Shane. How about... Jund, kind of an up and comer, yes, uh, of the t- of the 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 top thirty two challenge circuit. Yes, yeah, it is an up and comer, and I'm glad that I got to play against it too because I felt like Jund is favored against Murktide, and it was hard for me to beat Jund. I think that's often true with Jund versus Blue Moon style decks, but at least in this case, Jund got to benefit in the matches I played from a lot of the same aggressive tempo plan. They get from Dragon's Rage Channeler and Ragavan, but they also have Lurus and Goyf as part of their top end. Mm-hmm. Goyf, even though it's so frequently just a 5-6. It, I, no, it, just a 5-6. Just a 5-6. It forces the Marktide deck to draw an, an unholy heat or kind of just lose because the Goyf will get there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, these Jun decks, they're running four copies of Ren 6. Mm-hmm. And it's Renan 6 plus Urza Saga is insane. A, generates so much card advantage and eventually generates board advantage because they keep, can keep making constructs. But also Renan 6 can just pick off a lot of your threats. Like if, you're, if you don't have Delirium online, it's killing your Ragavans, it's killing your Dragon's Rage Channelers while also making sure that they hit every land drop and eventually making big artifact creatures. Yeah, I feel like the one toughness of your smaller threats out of the gate is like a significant disadvantage against the popularity of Renin Six right now, for sure. Yeah. I'll even add that Urza Saga is great in this matchup because this deck is now built to have, you know, a handful of main deck spell bombs, whether it's Pyrite Spell Bomb or the black one. Nihil. Nihil, thank you. It can either shut off Murktide's graveyard entirely, help pick off some more of those creatures, and just play this toolbox package that then can outgrind with Luris and I, I'm at the point where I think part of Jun's success of late is the fact that it can beat up on these Mark Tide decks, which are super popular. Okay, so you, you think that uh, Jun is unfavored for you? Correct. 
Okay. Yeah, my and notes are a little screwy here where I used favorite and then favorite <laughs> interchangeably to mean the exact same thing sometimes. What else you got? What else have you been testing against? Uh, man, all the leagues, I, I feel like I got to play against everything. I'll just mention blue-white control, perhaps not surprisingly, is favored against Merktide, I think. between think the, so. Between the main deck chalices, a deck full of sweepers and removal, and Teferi Time Reveler, I kind of feel like blue-white is actually just built to beat up on Merktide right now. Hmm. I mean, it doesn't surprise me necessarily because it's like, I think this is sort of like a tempo discussion, right? Where it's like, your deck is not hyper-aggressive. And it's trying to do a certain thing against a certain, I think, it's trying to do a certain thing against a certain other tempo of deck, right? Where it's like, hey, I'm almost a mid-range, I mean, is it mid-range deck? Or mm-hmm. sometimes I'm going to be an aggressor, sometimes I'm going to be the control, and I'm pretty good at playing both. But I'm not, that doesn't usually put you in a position to be expert against something like Azorius Control. Right. I mean, even Prismatic Ending in Azorius Control is just a one-mana removal spell against two-thirds of your threats. It sure is. And I think that's pretty key. And you don't even get a land back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, blue-white, it's hard. You can win a counter-war post-board especially because you're bringing in Fluster Storms and Mystical Disputes. But um, you kind of have to get lucky then to get out ahead. So we've talked about, I think, a few things in a row that have been slightly unfavored yeah. to you. What are you feeling like this, like, what is this deck still good against that's popular in the, in the meta? Right, so I mentioned Footfalls, I think is super winnable. I love playing against Tron. I think you have so much counter magic, um, not to mention really good early threats, that I've never lost against Tron with Merktide. Plus, post-board, you can get both more counter magic and Blood Moons, and you're pretty well off. I also love... Uh, connecting with a Ragavan and then just stealing one of their eggs or even their oh, Sylvan yeah. Scrying and just making sure that I hit all of my land drops while holding up removal or counter magic for whatever they play. So Tron versus Merktide, I think, is in Merktide's favor. This one, I wonder if this is going to be controversial, but I think Merktide is favored against Yogmoth. I've got mm. to play this matchup a few times and I've won most of the times. I think your removal lines up really nicely with their threats, even their recursive threats. And part of that is knowing what to spend your removal and interaction on. So you can never let them resolve a Yagmoth um, or a Giralf's Messenger. But the other creatures aren't that scary, really. Yeah. Um, and so like no, knowing what has to actually come off the board. Right, right. I think if you know which creature story you're about and which ones are red herrings, um, you can make sure that they don't actually cast anything that's good against you. And then if you're able to get a big Merc tie down, they'll have a pretty hard time removing that. And yeah, the only other one that I think is, I'm undecided. I think it's pretty split. It may be 50-50, and that's Living End. Okay. Because on the one hand, a resolved Living End is basically game over. But because you have so much interaction and, and really strong counter spells, main and post board, um, as well as decent graveyard hate, you can also sometimes just outgrind the living end opponent. How about Burn Stand? We didn't get our 1v1 yeah. uh, because of our busyness, but I'm sure you've played against Burn with this deck. What's it feel like? I did. Yes, saving the best for last. Burn is a pretty tough matchup. What makes it tough, do you think? <laughs> uh, probably all the Burn spells. I would say that Burn is not only favored, but it's actually, again, kind of propped up by the popularity of Is It Merktide. And in all my years of playing Blue Moon decks, whether it was Old Thing in the Ice or even Is It Phoenix and now this Merktide deck, I always felt like Burn was just a tough matchup for Is It decks for several reasons. Key among them, Is It doesn't have good life gain spells or effects in our colors. Your primary options are like artifacts 
And something like Dragon's Claw, while it can be really good in, in red mirror matches, and, and you do have red in, in this deck, you don't have enough red spells to actually generate a lot of life gain off of both of your uh, both opponent's cards. Yeah. And if they have an Eidolon down and you have a Dragon's Claw, your red spells are still pinging you for one. For two. Oh, yeah, for one with the Dragon's Claw down, yeah. Right, right, right. So lack of life gain really sucks. Your mana base is kind of painful as well. Yeah, that's like the best thing about Burn right now. I'll talk about that later. It's just so many people are hurting themselves with these three and four color mana bases or even two color mana bases because they uh, really want to hit multiple colors a yep. lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Spire Bluff Canal is great. Um, and, and that can maybe sometimes help you draw out the game a little bit. But, but you can legally only play four. You can le- And then eventually they start coming in tapped. Even with Spire Bluff Canal, you frequently have to fetch just to get your red mana online because you're not running any main deck mountains. You just don't have basic mountains. So if you don't have a Spire Bluff Canal, you need to get Steam Vents. And then you end up in this catch-22 where it's either you fetch for a Steam Vent and you lose tempo by bringing it in tapped, or yeah. you fetch in shock and you give them a... Yeah. And, I mean, no one sta- Stan, no one said playing Archmage's Charm is free, my friend. No. Triple blue is a legitimate decision here. Yeah, so those are the matchups. Those are the big ones, at least. Um, I, I mentioned why I think it's a, still a solid deck and why it's a solid pick for competitive modern. You get to leverage a lot of the best cards in the format with your cheap threats and your uh, really good interaction. You can play a very flexible plan if you have a lot of format knowledge and know how to pivot based on what your opponents are doing or playing. And also, I mean... Let's just not ignore the fact that it is, in fact, a very proven strategy that a lot yeah. of strong players have had success with in high-level tournaments while playing some of these tough matchups, right? You have winnable matchups. You don't feel like an absolute dog in most conditions. Like, sure. maybe Blue, White, and Jund are particularly tough for me. But I think the best players can beat the worst players who have favorite decks against them. Yeah, I remember a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago at this point, people were saying, like, playing Murktide feels like I'm playing a legacy deck in modern. It feels right. like I'm playing a different format. Do you still think that's the case? Or do you think that people have tuned other decks that weren't quite as obvious as is it Murktide to be competitive? I don't think Murktide is as cracked as it was, you know, sure. a month or two ago. Um, and if you're looking for reasons, you, Shane, or the listener, are looking for reasons to talk yourselves out of playing Murktide and why it might even be a risky pick, I mean, the fact is, it's just a known entity with huge crosshairs on its back. And I think anyone who's not playing Murktide has a plan for your deck now. You have tools to maybe disrupt their plan and, and counterplay against it, but you should know that people are probably expecting some amount of Murktide matchups and will likely know what to do in that matchup if they're practiced with their strategy. And I think that's kind of an, an issue that I don't think enough about, Stan, is like, what does someone who really knows how to play against me get? Like, what are they What are they thinking differently? Because I am not the person who knows matchups well enough where I'm thinking like that. Like, very few matchups, I'm like, I know what this player is planning on doing. I know the ins and outs of, of my game plan and their game plan and their game plan against me enough that I will have my own counter game plan simply because of the jumping between decks as often as we do as just the amount I'm able to play, uh, which is not as much as a lot of these grinders and the people you will play against in a challenge, the people you will play against at the, the top tables. Like if you go 3-0, you know, 4-0, 5-1, that kind of thing, you're going to be playing against people who are likely, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, 
better than you. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be playing against the people who are on our bonus episode. <laughs> you, you know, Shane, I will say, don't cut yourself too short. And I think one of the most important steps to get better at thinking about your opponent's plans is taking that beat to ask yourself mid-game, well, what do I need to make sure my opponent doesn't resolve? What am I afraid of? Or what can my opponent do to kind of thwart my plan right now? And I think sure. I think you and we and, and people who listen to the dive down have enough format knowledge to kind of know what's good, know what sort of technology is being leveraged in the format in different decks right now, that if you just take a moment to be like, all right, well, this I'm ahead right now. I have two more cards than my opponent does, more life and more threats on the board. What do I have to make sure that they don't resolve don't do, yeah. or don't do? And How do I keep my advantage in this matchup? You know, thinking about those types of things. Just remember the fundamentals. Don't get caught up in your own head. Don't get tunnel vision. Yeah. And, and, and to that effect, I will say because Merktide is such a known entity, its hate pieces and, and really its interaction are very predictable. So even if mm-hmm. you know, you're playing against Merktide, you kind of have the advantage now because you kind of know that you just need to worry about counter spells, worry about unholy heats or lightning bolts, and maybe like some more surgical counter magic or, or um, engineered explosives out of the side. Sure. So overall, let's sum it up, Stan. Like, is this a deck that you would, as an is it mage, mm-hmm. want to take to, let's say you were doing the main event in Vegas tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, are you wait. are you that are you that hyped about it, or are you still or, or will you still be exploring the night before? Like I don't know what deck I'm taking. <laughs> well, you know I can't help myself. I'm gonna audible to burn and second guess in in like the last minutes before I have to register a deck. Living end it is. I will say that Merktide is a respectable choice and it is not an embarrassing deck to play. However, I think you have a hill to climb because of. Its position and its reputation in the format, um, you're, you're not going to catch anyone by surprise with Merktide. And if that's something you want to yeah. do, you might want to look toward other strategies. If you're an Is It Master, this is basically one of the best Is It decks, if not the best Is It deck in the format right now, that you can probably pilot to success and outplay opponents who maybe don't know their matchups as well as you do. Yeah, I feel like this is a deck that even more than some of the other good decks in the format, you can probably get a lot out of practice with. Like if you wanted to practice for a week, just like playing two leagues a night of like, is it Murktide and like really get some reps in, I think you would learn an awful lot and be able to up your game uh, and get some edges more than even some other decks simply because of all the things we've been talking about, like the adaptability, the selection, the choices that you have in this deck are more than a lot of others. And I think that's a big advantage of it, right? Yeah. Enough about me. Please. Let's talk about the U in Burn. Yes. <laughs> I played Burn and I added the U, so it's Burn. You know, it was just last week you were saying I should play more Burn. I, yeah, you know, that's why I ran I like with this, burn. my friend. Yeah. I mean, you you had a great idea for these episodes, which is, hey, we can we can double dip. We can practice. We can see what's going on in the format. We can play some truly legitimate decks and then talk about it. And I think that's great because we get to benefit ourselves. We get to hopefully benefit uh, each other and the listeners out there and have some good conversations about what's going on in the format. And I think I'll, I'll try to stick to your format, I think, Stan, which is, you know, talk about kind of what the deck's been doing lately and maybe why it's doing well as it is and matchups and stuff like that. So I think what's cool about Burn or why we're talking about Burn at all is that it has been creeping back up into the top tiers of modern 
as it always does. But it's kind of easy to be like, oh, that's like the past weeks, the past few weeks, Burn's doing better, maybe the past month. But if you look at it, Burn has seen a steady increase in play and success ever since the release of Modern Horizons 2. Like it saw a really distinct, definite, noticeable drop in playtime and its and in success because if people aren't playing it, it's not going to succeed as much after the release of Modern Horizons 2. It was barely in the late June lists at all. Nearly all of July. July it was a really low point. Like it appeared in leagues even and whatever events that goldfish tracks, because you know sometimes it gets like those random sixteen-person dive-down events mm-hmm. on there. Mm-hmm. It was in, I was it was on goldfish sixteen times across the entire month of July, and and and, and July probably had hundreds, if not close to a thousand decks listed for. Oh yeah, like know, if you yeah events. yeah like if you looked at all of the leagues, you know, there's what there's two league dumps um, uh, a week. There's two challenge. There's like what three, three or four uh, prelims. So it was it was nowhere. Like it only had four challenge top thirty twos in July. Um, people, of course, were they were wanting to try these new cards. They wanted to try these new decks. That Modern Horizons two made a thing. And Burn hadn't had a new main deck card since Skewer the Critics, which I will make you all sad was over two point five years ago. <laughs> Skewer the Critics came out. Okay. Uh, however, in August, burn pilots were coming back to this, you know, their old friends, Goblin Guide, Eidolon of the Great Rebel, Monastery Swift Spear, Lava Spike. Uh, it was on 47 appearances on Goldfish that month, 13 challenge top 32s, so it's creeping back in. September, more of the same increase, 53 Goldfish appearances, 25 challenge top 32s, almost doubling its challenge appearances. October, it's already top 32 five times in the first weekend alone. Burn is clearly solidifying itself as a solid choice, if not a good choice, in today's modern, even though it hasn't had any real upgrades besides like some sideboard or if really spicy, some main deck, Roiling Vortex from last September's Zendikar Rising. Mm. So Burn is not the kind of deck that's always getting pieces, but it's still always there and why is that the case you may ask me stan shane why is it always there i think it's just a solid deck and i think (laughs) what i want i want to talk about let's talk i think going through some of these mashups is going to be more revealing Mm -hmm. about why it's doing what it's doing and and how it's and how it continues to do that and i think i want to talk about hammer first off because i think hammer is one of the more interesting matchups uh for this deck and the reason I think it's one of the most interesting ones is because Hammer is a prototypical example of how Burn has to operate against creature-focused decks in general, right? Okay. Because Burn has this unique luxury, I think, in presenting decent power and decent toughness threats because typically they come, they're all X2s, which is a nice benefit against things like Renin 6, which, of course, Hammer does not run. But you have you know two power, perhaps up to th- uh, three power with like a monastery swift spear with a couple prowess triggers, and most creature decks don't necessarily want to block against your creatures because either they're losing a mana dork or they're losing some utility creature that they want to get in this case a hammer on, like they're not going to trade 
uh, an ornithopter for your goblin guide. Typically, they're not going to trade a an Esper Sentinel for your. You know, they're not going to want to just chump block with an Esper Sentinel against your goblin guide, even your monastery swift spear early on. So you're getting some damage in often with your creatures because they need to leverage those artifact-based creatures for something like uh, Pure Steel Paladin, or they just want to be able to try to slam a hammer on it and start getting some damage in. And so oftentimes, many creature decks I've found that aren't just pure, like, you know, go wide type strategies, they're going to let you still get damage in with your creatures once or twice at least. And then alternately... You can use your burn spells to remove value creatures like Giver of Runes or Esper Sentinel or Pure Steel Paladin, and that's letting you clear the way for more damage and taking care of these creatures before they cause havoc on your game plan. Okay, I, w- I want to talk about this specific decision point. Sure. It's, even in the Hammer matchup specifically, because we know how dangerous letting Hammer have a creature can be. Yeah. Are you using your lightning bolt on their creatures in all situations or only if you have a threat on the ground that you're trying to clear? I think that's a good question, Stan. I think the burn in all of these types of mashups and hammer, like I said, is a really good example of one because it's a creature combo deck. And so creatures are more dangerous than they would be just as like, say, I don't know, elves or... Uh, I guess elves does have combo elements, but like you know, you're not going to worry about it as much as you are with something like uh, the old devoted devastation strategies or something like that, right? And so in this case, I think burn, of course, has to have that balance, which is like how much damage am I pointing, and at what creatures and when. And I think there's a temptation in a deck like hammer where it's like I just need to keep the board clear because anything can wear a hammer and anything could be a, a dangerous threat and it can happen at any time. But I think that's not really the case. Like if you pay attention to what's going on uh, and you do have some awareness of the matchup, you can see, you can, you can be like, I need to worry about this at this point. Like I need to worry about this when they're actually equipping a hammer on this. And otherwise it's just a speed bump that I'm going to force uh, either a chump block or a trade with one of my creatures that's continuing to beat down. And I'm going to hold back some lightning helix or a lightning bolt or something like that, where it's like, hey, uh, as soon as you start to try to do something with your creatures, I'm going to cause a tempo issue because you lost mana doing a, trying to flash the hammer down on the cigar to Zade or something like that. And so I think it's a losing battle to try to deal with everything because mm-hmm. you're going to run out of interaction and you're not going to kill them quickly enough. So I think what's more important is for you to be setting the tempo of the game rather than them, because I don't think you can necessarily game one play the control. Like I think game one, you have to try to pick your battles. And I think then on game two, you can then focus more on all the sideboard elements that you have. Games two and three, of course, post-sideboard, you get access to things like uh, Deflecting Palm, which is huge. It can steal a game all by itself. You can get access to Smash to Smithereens, which takes care of any, like any artifact that you need to take care of, and it also does damage to them. So you can just be like, I don't care about any of your creatures. <laughs> All I really care about is your hammers and your shadow spears and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of shadow spear, that is an issue, right? Like hammer has that main deck source of life gain with shadow spear. And so and it can that, fetch up. Yes, exactly. And so 
that is likely one of your primary focuses along with hammer, of course, because then you get to have to try to leverage your skull crack effects that you really need to be holding up because the skull crack during that shadow spear attack uh, is really key because a lot of times opponents will do stupid stuff. Like they'll overextend, they'll do a big swing thinking they're going to gain five, six, seven life. And then you skull crack them and then untap and kill them because their, their life gain thought thinking is completely off. And that kind of stuff happens in a lot of matchups, a lot of Urza Saga matchups, because they'll have access to Shadow Spear and think that's enough to kind of carry them. And that's really where you want to have your skull crack effects. And I think we're at the point now where I want more than two. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are leaning on Roiling Vortex for that extra sort of anti-life gain effect. But I, I do not want Roiling Vortex against uh, Hammer at all. It's just not worth the card. Vortex, awesome card. I feel like it's just it's better against controlling strategies than yes. aggro strategies because hundred percent. It's a little mana intensive. It's you know you're playing it on turn two or three at the earliest, and yeah, it wins long games, not right. not fast ones. Yeah. So overall, I think that I ha- I haven't played it enough to know who's truly favored, but I do feel like Burn has a lot of game, especially post sideboard. And that's why this deck runns like three to even four smash of smithereens and things like that. It's just because you can't you can't let hammer kill you in like two or three turns. You can't let Shadow Spear gain life. And so you're just you're just worrying about the important artifacts and, and moving on. I mean, especially like you get the two for one from Searing Blaze sometimes. That's the real hope against creature decks, right? Is just that Searing Blaze once or twice and the game feels so in your in your favor. I think this is also a matchup where you really just want to win the coin flip and oh, yeah. be on the, the play. Oh yeah. I mean that's that's burn, right? Is burn right. is like burn is it's just so much better on the play than on the draw almost always. Just simply because of the, the way that the tempo of this deck solidifies itself. Uh and unfortunately that's I mean that's a lot of modern. But I think it is especially advantageous in a burn deck because you know that's an extra two points of damage, maybe extra three to four points of damage. Totally. Did you get a chance to play against blue white? Oh, oh, I did. <laughs> uh, I hate playing against Azorius controls burn. I just I hate control in general. You don't uh, it, say. Always, it always feels like it's so close, but it's not. It's 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 just as close as they want you to think it is. You know, from a good player, I think, and I and I think that's still quite true especially now i think last week we kind of poo-pooed we didn't poo-poo but we were just poo-poo-poo-poo we were just like hey main deck chalice is okay against burn but hey there's a lot of there's not there's a lot of spells in burn that aren't one mana yeah tell me that when i'm getting like routinely two or three or four for one because i've got three one mana spells in my hand and i draw a fourth one do you yeah. know what I mean? There's there's enough. There's there's definitely enough one mana spells where a chalice on one is really bad, and then that gives them the opportunity to buy enough time to chalice on two, and then things are really bad when you have a chalice on one and a chalice on two against you. You don't have a lot of opportunity to make much of a play at all because then they're getting into uh, if they're like an, a four color control, they're getting into their omnath where the game is just over. Uh, or even like a uh, Azorius control deck can still do a lot with other amounts of mana and really take the game away from you. And when you combine the Chalice issue with their ability to neatly remove your stuff, uh, 
with uh, prismatic ending. They are able to counter any spells that could pass that chalice on one. They're able to bounce, like you know that roiling vortex we talked about. It's like, oh, this feels so good, but then like Teferi bounces it, Teferi five bounces it, or tucks it. Even worse, mm. uh, your mana's under attack by spreading seas. They have a main deck source of life gain creatures in, solitu- in solitude. Uh, they have a really efficient life gain spell in sunset Revel- revelry. Like things are rough out there. My friends, like if you're playing against Azorius Control right now, it definitely feels like they are well tacked against what you're trying to do. And I don't know if it, it never always felt like this. Like I think there's been plenty of times where Burn can could quote unquote get under control, uh, but it's a different world now. Like c- Control is a different deck than it was in like the Path to Exile days. And like Snapcaster Mage days, right? Like the matchup's different, and I feel like Burn was never fast enough to like just to get under every everything that Control was trying to do. And now it feels like that more than ever, where so much is happening earlier in the game on the Control side uh, that it just is it's really rough. And so the increased playing of Blue White is is an issue, and we'll talk about that I think a little bit later. Let me talk about a few things I just consider sort of races, and those are the Cascade decks. I think like Living End, and I think Footfalls in are similar but different. Like Living End, I actually haven't played against this uh, as Burn, but I I my, I know that it's just basically a race because Living End is not gaining life in the process of doing what they're doing. And they don't have a lot of ways to interact with what you're doing from your hand besides like a grief pitch, right? And it's not like you need your creatures on the board after a few turns. And so like they're just cycling stuff away and then hoping to sort of flip over the board and then kill you in a turn or two of attacks. But if you're just attacking with some Swiss spears and some goblin guides and putting down maybe an Eidolon or something like that, then and pointing burn at their face after that, like you honestly can kill them on turn three or turn four, like a, the burn decks can do in the vacuum because you're largely playing against goldfish in, in that sense. And I think footfalls is somewhat similar, but definitely different because footfalls offers a little bit more interaction early on. So you don't have as much reliability on your creatures because they can sort they can stomp them. Uh, they can bounce them with a brazen borrower and, but it's still definitely a race and they don't really have a good way to gain life against you either. They have a somewhat painful mana base. And so you can rely on your burn that's in your hand rather than, rather than really hoping to keep your creatures alive for more than like a turn. Like this is the kind of instance where you're just like, Hey, I just have to cast like five burn spells and I'm likely going to kill you. Yeah. I, I do think because for is in green, they can run life gain if they, chose to yeah it's weird like i was looking through lists and i was like they don't seem like they have a lot of anti-burn here and i'm surprised by that so maybe the matchup is more in favor on their end than i'm anticipating but i really do feel like i don't know how they're clocking me fast enough for me to worry you know what i mean where it's like i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do i have to cast a handful of burn spells uh before i'm killed by rhinos and that's like what turn six turn five maybe at the absolute earliest where like i'm actually facing down lethal rhinos well you might be seeing lethal rhinos on 
turn two, if, if, especially if they're on the draw and they have um, Gemstone Cavern. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it is possible. So that's, that's eight power of rhinos, right? So like they still have to get a couple attacks in. That's true. So I mean, like again, I do think it's a race. I don't think it's like outrageously f- favored in the in the burn decks. You know, end of things. They do, of course, have force of negation. Yeah. But that puts them down cards. Right. And so I, I think it's really about how fast can they clock you with rhinos versus you pointing enough burn at their face and maybe getting in like one or t- one swing with a goblin guide if you're on the play uh, to have that card be worth it. And so I think it's one of those ones where if I was going to be playing burn, I would definitely be play testing against footfalls a lot before I made that decision. Like I'd just be like, hey, is what is my what does this gameplay feel like? Because I'm I know I'm going to see footfalls, mm-hmm. and so you can't punt that one away or just sort of dismiss it as oh it's just a race like I'm doing right now simply because I don't have the reps against it. All right, let's talk. Let's talk Tron. Even though it seems like it's fading a little bit, I think that Burn versus Tron has always been pretty fine for Burn, and I think it's still the case. But I do see more main deck Thrag Tusks than I used to. I definitely see, I've seen, you know, three in a number of lists, which is not something you want to see because that's a life gain spell in the main. Uh, of course, Worm Coil. You always are going to see three and four Worm Coils. But, I mean, the real hope, I think, is still being able to kill them, like, on turn four because they're not doing anything against you early on. Yeah. I mean, unless they get one of those life gain creatures, you're pretty favorite. For sure. Like, they're really relying on, like, six to seven spells out of their whole deck and being able to cast them, which is not a guarantee for Tron where they're mulling to, like, four. Yeah. N- not to mention your skull cracks. Like, it, they're sometimes, they're, they're counting on, you know, one spell or maybe one swing from a warm coil engine to stabilize. And if you can time your skull crack just right, then you can just keep keep them from winning, really, and then you burn them out. Exactly. Stan, I didn't play against elementals at all, and I'm so like clueless on elementals in general that I don't really know how to speak to it. So I'm gonna have to just be like, "Hey, I don't know," and I'm I'm fine with that. And again, I I don't think it's probably great, but I also know that elementals is not a fast deck, right? Like they're not also not clocking you, but they have Omnath, mm-hmm. and anything that has Omnath, I'm not happy about because it just gains so much life that it pulls them away. Even like a single four mana land drop. Excuse me, for life, land drop. Just it just feels like that's all it takes. I, I so I, you know, I wasn't trying to do your job for you, Shane. But I did play um, one league match with Burn, and I'm currently zero one because my first opponent was <laughs> Elementals. How did it feel? It felt good until they cast Omnath. Like <laughs> that's just, all it takes. Omnath just feels unbeatable. And if your opponent, if the Elementals player knows what they're doing, they'll hold up like uncracked fetches. Just so that even if oh, you yeah. try to interact with Omnath or, you know, time a skull crack, they'll just like crack a fetch at the right time and make sure that they gain four life. And then it's pretty hard to recover from that. Yeah, for sure. Another deck I feel that feels, fa- I, I've played against that feels favorite is Mill. I played against this a number of times. People still love Mill. It feels really in Burns' favor. Like even with O three 3 crab butts on the other side, like all they're really doing is giving you targets for your removal spells. And mm-hmm. that's also stopping their game plan, right? So it's like, I have two crabs in hand and I think this is going to mill my opponent enough cards that I have to play them. And then I just point burn at them and it stymies the game plan and just clears the way for my attacking creatures. Or, of course, like the magical Christmas land or holiday land, uh, Hanukkah land, Stan, Ramadan, um, Festivus, Kwanzaa, Festivus, all those things. The magical holiday land of uh, just searing blaze, it just feels so good, right? But 
the main thing you have to fade is crypt incursion. And so I think that's really the thing you have to be careful about. Bring in your anti-life gain when you can. I like to bring in Sanctifier Onvec because it clears my graveyard out of creatures so they have nothing to gain life off of. And also potentially helps turn off Drown in the Lock uh, and spells like that if they're playing those. So uh, I think it's fine just to fade Crypt Incursion because you cannot lose to Crypt Incursion. Uh, that would be very bad. I haven't played against Yogmoth. I don't really know what to what to say there. I feel like Yogg is not necessarily fast enough, but they do have main deck life gain that they can tutor for in the in the form of uh, Innkeeper. Mm-hmm. I know it has like has like a sort of built in life gain combo there, so I wouldn't be too hopeful. Uh, in terms of the being able to clock them because they're going to invalidate one or two of your burn spells. I think they're going to quickly invalidate your attacking creatures with all of their ground blockers that come back. And so I think that you're really relying on burn in hand when the creature's on the ground. And that's never really, really want to be. Like, burn does do best where it can get in a, an attack or two at, at least with the creatures for repeatable damage. And... Yogmoth is definitely the kind of deck where you're not going to rely on that. You're going to be blocked by a Wall of Omens. You're going to be blocked by a Young Wolf. You're going to be blocked by all sorts of things. Insect tokens. Uh, and it's not a place where you want to be, I think. So I wouldn't be surprised if Yogg is, is more favored on their end than for you. Thankfully, I think Yogg is still kind of a popularity tier 3 deck, mm-hmm. even if the power level is higher. So I don't think it's something that I wouldn't necessarily worry about having to be shored up against in the tournament. Anything else I'm forgetting? Oh, Jund. I haven't played against this matchup at all in like the 15 plus matches of practice I did for this episode, but I'm going to go with my gut. By analyzing these deck lists, I've played against Jund with other decks, uh, and I think that Jund still has the advantage of for you of having the... It has a painful mana base. That's going to help you out, right? It's going to... It's going to be able to, it has to fetch for its colors so that it can work around Urza's Saga in the main deck. But an issue that it has for you is that it still has those efficient threats, that that's going to stymie your ground game quickly, and they have piles of removal spells that are going to do the same thing. So the real challenge for you as a burn deck is like some other things, which is how do I get to five to six burn spells to their dome before they get like a Shadow Spear on something? Yeah. And I think that's something you can pretty, you can do. That man deck Shadow Spear seems really scary just because it can they can fetch it with their Urza Saga pretty quickly. Exactly. I mean, I don't know. Jund is the kind of deck where it's like it's not as efficient in doing that kind of stuff because it has to be doing other stuff with colored mana. But I do think that that is a very clear mid-game for it, which is like, if you can't deal with the Shadow Spear, then I'm going to get it. I'm going to put it on a Tarmogoyf. I'm going to gain five life. I, I think an Inquisition, of course, they have Inquisition that makes your task more challenging of those five to six burn spells to the dome before they can really get their game plan truly ticking. You know, being on the play, of course, like we talked about, is a real benefit because you know if you get a hasty threat down before they can remove it, before they have that uh, unholy heat or anything like that, before they can Inquisition it out of your hand, like you're going to get two to four damage out of it. That's exactly what you want out of a creature like that is to force a removal, force a block, force them to use their mana on that creature as well as you getting damage out of it. But I think that largely it's a tempo game. Um, it's one of the few like popular matchups where I would probably just want to not have creatures. Like I would just want to invalidate removal spells in their hand. I would just want to cast five to six burn spells over like four to five turns. 
and just assume that they're not going to have any life gain until then. Um, but they have a tempo and mana advantage engine in their Ragavan. They can cycle through their deck in Dragon's Rage Channeler if you're not removing those with your burn. Yeah. So like that puts you in a tough spot where it's like, what's what's a necessary kill here that's like wasting my burn spells? Like, I don't know. That seems like one of those things that could swing either way to me. How good is Ren and Six against burn? Or how- It's not very. Like yeah, it, 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 like it, every, everything has two toughness, which yeah. is a, a, a huge advantage of it. Oh. Of burn, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I think that burn is really solid right now, and I think it's because like it has a game plan. And that is to get damage across to the opponent as quickly as possible. And like, it's just really reliable doing that. Right. You know what I mean? Like you, unless you get unlucky and you're like, well, this is six lands and, or like, or it's, I have one land and I'm on the play and I know I'm never going to draw a second. Uh, never keep a one lander, you know, uh, maybe on the draw and you mold to six, but it just does what it does every game. And sometimes that's really good. And sometimes it's a little bit less good. But then in the sideboard, you have a lot of tools to impact what other people are trying to do against you, even though you're just running two colors. And I think also people's mana bases are, you know, the the prototype the stereotypical a little bit greedy right now. There's a lot of decks that need to have access to multiple colors. And so you could get a free lightning bolt just from them fetch shocking once or twice, right? Yeah. Um, and also, I think a really big benefit of Burn that Burn has right now is there are not a lot of super clean combo decks right now that are just winning on turn four reliably. And I think that really plays in your favor because you're not racing turn four. You're mm-hmm. racing maybe turn five or something like that. Or you're racing a deck that's taking a little while to, to get its game plan set up and then turning the corner really hard. And so you're not facing down Storm. Uh, you're not facing down even Ad Nauseum very often right now. You know what I mean? Like, there's just not a lot of decks that are saying, uh, you need to race me all the time. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's just the Cascade decks right now. It may be Yogg, but, like, it's Living End and Footfalls. Yeah. And those aren't instant win. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Living End's not an instant win. Footfalls is not an instant win. It's just, like, high-value Cascade. And I think that's a real advantage Burn has right now. Right on. Do you think, though, that because Burn has been ebbing or flowing? No, Burn has been flowing. <laughs> it's such an easy deck to hate out by just like playing yeah. some life gain spells that yeah. maybe even by the time Vegas rolls around, it'll be on the ebb. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, people will get I, wise I, to playing vulnerable matchups or they'll know to max out on. Landon of Sanctities or yeah. other life gain spells that Burn might have a target, like even within a couple of weeks. That's like an issue for sure. It's like I think that Burn, more than a lot of decks, has to worry about a few like rogue strategies. Like I played against Glimpse of Tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. And they and some of them still are doing like that ley line thing where they want the permanence on board really early. And so I played against a glimpse deck where I ran it over really fast. And then games two and games three, two ley lines on the board and burn is kind of in a place where I guess they don't feel they have to worry about ley lines. Like there's no wear tears. Everything is very damaged focused. And so I feel like I have to figure out if I'm just going to dodge ley line of sanctity or I'm going to start playing some wear tears in my sideboard, even though they're not doing damage, it's better than me losing the game. Yeah. To a ley line. 
I mean, Enchantress always seems like it runs for Leyline sideboard. So if you're going to come across some random Enchantress fan round one or round two, <laughs> and you and know, you will, and you yeah, you, you don't want to get eaten alive by that. That's one of those things. I was like, can you worry about that? But maybe sometimes you just have to because other people are running ley lines, right? Like even Dredge does it sometimes to dodge burn. Well, it doesn't have to dodge burn because you're going to lose the Dredge. But it can. it's going to have just another piece of the puzzle against you. Uh, you know, the control matchup feels terrible and Omnath feels terrible. And I feel like both of those are still rising in the metagame. I think these multicolor control decks with Omnath, I think these uh, Niv to Light style decks or the Bring to Light Omnath decks are still popular. Uh, I don't feel like you have much of a chance against those because those are the real combos. It's like the combo of getting Omnath on the board, right? Or like Bring to Lighting for Omnath. And mm-hmm. like, it's just very challenging. It feels impossible to get out from under an Omnath. And you still can lose to the random combo decks, even though they're not as popular. Like you can lose on the draw to stuff like ad nauseum very easily. Um, but, and like you said, Stan with Murktide is like people have known the entity of burn for as many years as they've been playing modern or as many months as they've been playing modern. Like you are exposed to burn very quickly and you learn what you need to be doing against it. And your sideboard plan is usually very defined and you know what you're mulliganing for. And you know how to stop what Burn is trying to do, and so Burn is just kind of like the anti the anti hate game plan is then you know what am I doing to try to stop what they're trying what they're going to do to stop me? Huh, so like they can beat you, you can be beaten. Like you said, it's it's one of the easier decks I think to hedge against. Sure. Like if you if you want if you go to a big tournament, you're like this is Burn country. I'm in whatever <laughs> state people think is the I'm most. I'm in Nevada. Pre- I'm I'm in Nevada's big burn country. Uh, And so largely I think that burn is solid enough and fast enough and reliable enough to get the job done in a big open field. I think the problem is, is, is it better than another choice right now? And I'm not sure that's the case. I think that you would have to have a very tuned board to handle the hate that you're going to plan on seeing, right? Sure. Or to shore up your worst matchups. And so it's one of those things where it's like, is it going to be four Roiling Vortex or is it a total of four skull crack effects in your 75? Or is it uh, a few more uh, Sanctifier on Vex to counteract graveyard strategies and also be like a red, you know, be protection against the necessary colors that you want? Is it core firewalkers for the mirror? Uh, I think that's one of those things, like like always, you get more of the edges in your last five cards, perhaps, than you do in the, in the, fir- in the first 70. <laughs> that's deep. I know. <laughs> I just thought about that. Yeah. I don't know. I think overall it's cool. Um, I'm, not like, I'm not coming out of this being like, burn is amazing, but besides the control matchups... And the mirror, which was extremely close, I, I did feel very favored in a lot of my matchups. Like I'm just I'm I'm running over ad nauseum. I'm running over mill. I'm able to take care of like these Azorius uh, artifacts energy decks. Like anything that feels like it doesn't have like a truly efficient game plan or is truly built to counteract what you're doing and gain some life and things like that. It's just like, you're not fast enough. 
Like I'm pointing a burn spell at your face and I'm killing you because I just have enough time. I have five turns to win. Sure. And that's all it really, that's all it takes. So yeah, I'm, I'm not sold either way. Like I'm definitely a, a believer of burn and I think that it's a perfectly valid choice. And I think you can get some edges by understanding your matchups and understanding how you want to sideboard. Uh, Cause what you take out of burn is hard. You know what I mean? Cause every spell seems like it's redundant. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Eidolon, right? It's like, do I take out Eidolon? Do, do I, I take, take out, out Lava Bolt? Yeah. 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 It's like, what's, what's the worst spell here? What am I going to get the least amount of value on? Um, but yeah. So I wish we did have Dave here. I do have to say mainly because then either of us could talk, could have talked less and we'd have one more deck to have investigated. I guess we didn't say hey, Dave, Dave's just swamped right now. Um, Listen, so you, you know what I'll say? Be back. Our voices are different enough that I think we jib jack well. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of those podcasts, people do sound the same. That's, that, that's so true. You and, and Dave also sound the same. You think so? I think, yeah. I don't think that's the case. I think Dave has a different voice than me. But Stan, uh, fi- I guess any final thoughts? Like in, in terms of our exploration mm-hmm. this week, what you played against, what are you excited to try next? Like, is there anything where you like that felt crazy? Yeah. So I I feel like it's playing Jun Saga and Blue White Chalice is important for sure. Just kind of like straight up because those two decks are, I I, I think they're he- they help set the rules of engagement of the format. That's right, that's right that's now. a good that's a good. Fundament- that's a good baseline for playing it. Does it does it set a baseline of the format? Like, is it something you just know you're going to see? Right. Um, apart from that, you know, I, I kind of want to keep messing around with Footfalls because that's a deck I really like. Yeah, and, and it's still good. Yeah, and at the end of the day, like, you know, you and I have gone back and forth on whether or not we'll individually want to play in the main event in Vegas. And I think I do. Like, if I'm going to fly out, 2,000 miles, Shane. Like, my arms are going to get tired. I got to make the most out of it. So, eight hours of of yeah. slow, meticulous, decision-driven modern sounds like a good way to reward myself. That after, seems great. After taking the plunge. I think I need to revisit Hammer, I'll tell you that. Not to butt right, in. Right. But. No, I, that's, I think that's really important. Like, for this series to run, if we're going to try to keep doing this before the big tournament, I think we have to talk, we want to talk in more detail about Hammer, Control, Footfalls. Jund. Jund. And I mean, pro- that's, probably, that's four decks. Probably some amount of Living End. Some combination of Living End or Elementals. For sure. But it'll yeah. be fun. And, and listeners, you let us know whether you like this approach, whether you even like this idea. Um, if there's something that we overlooked that we should maybe try to like focus on or other specific yeah. questions we should try to answer. We're yeah, all like a, ears. Yeah, like a topic, uh, like a certain aspect of deck exploration. Like if we're going to talk about something, uh, what aspects would you want to hear about it that we didn't talk about? Yeah, or if you think this is really stupid um, and people should never travel to Nevada or talk about it, uh, let us know about that. We'll take it with a grain of salt. But for now, that does wrap up this week's show. Dave, we missed you. We hope you'll be back next week. Dave, come back. Maybe we can finally have a, a three co-host reunion. Davey, come back. You, the listener, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon 
at patreon.com slash the dive down or support us while playing magic with a mana trader subscription sign up for mana traders using promo code the dive down 2021 all one word get 15 percent off your first two months of renting magic online cards as always special thanks to the bands nowhere and space blood for letting us use their music and until next week get out there and play more modern I gotta be kind of quiet. My kid's sleeping on the other side of this wall. That's so funny.